Hey, this is Mitch Rose. I'm the lead pastor of City Hills Church, and this is our podcast. Thanks for tuning in today. I hope this message encourages you, it inspires you, it challenges you to live your best life. Take a listen. Here's this week's message. We are in a series we're calling Summer at City Hills, and um, if you're new to our church family, I normally would preach to you in four or five or six-week series around a particular theme. As a matter of fact, we'll start in August. Uh, I'll bring you a whole new message series uh, about faith. It's probably uh, the one thing I preach about the most, uh, uh, having faith in God and, and moving your life forward, especially as we head toward revival nights, everybody. I am fired up for revival nights at City Hills in August. Old school revival nights, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, 23rd, 24th, and 25th. Whatever's on your calendar, cancel it and add revival nights that nights. We start at 6.30. And y'all, we're going to go in. We're going to press into the presence of God together. And uh, it's going to be incredible. Uh, I'm bringing you world-class preachers from literally around the nation, uh, uh, generals in the body of Christ who have agreed to be with us to preach those three nights. If you need a miracle, if you need a word from God, if you just need faith, I, everybody needs that. I need a faith lift headed into the fall. And if you have anybody in your world that needs that, I'm encouraging you. I'm asking you, make time for revival. going to be a great time. So I'll start a, a series on faith. But uh, in the meantime, in this summer at City Hills, I'm bringing you uh, a, a message series for the last probably 10 weeks now uh, around spirit-filled living and what it means to uh, live the spirit-filled life. And today I want to talk to you about the ways of worship. How many of you know we're in a spiritual battle? Good. If you don't know that, I got to tell you that we're in a spiritual battle. Look at my eyes. We are not in a political battle. We are not in a, over the next 12 months. Listen to me. I'm not a prophet. I just have lived long enough to know this. The media is going to try to divide us. They're going to try to put you in one corner and somebody else in another corner and somebody else in another corner. We are not fighting each other. We are in a spiritual battle. Say amen to that. And because we're in a spiritual battle, because we're in a spiritual battle, we need spiritual weapons. We cannot fight it in the natural. That's why 2 Corinthians 10, if you have your Bibles, 2 Corinthians 10 says, we live in the world, but we don't wage war as the world does. You need to highlight that. And remember that over the next 18 months, when culture tries to divide you and put you in a camp, you're this, you're that, you vote with them, you look like them, you talk like that, these are, the, these are your people, these are their people. Even though we live in the world, we don't fight, we don't wage war like the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, listen to me. The weapons that God has given you have divine power to demolish. Everybody say the word strongholds. There are spiritual strongholds in your life. I looked up strongholds in the Greek. Here's what it means. Stronghold. It literally means something has a grip on your life that is more powerful than you are. It could be depression, it could be lack of joy, it could be physical, it could be emotional, it could be in your family, it could be relational, it could be in your marriage. It's a stronghold. And the Bible said, you need spiritual weapons to battle strongholds. Say amen to that. And the weapon of choice, the greatest weapon in the arsenal of a believer, write this in your notes, is worship. It's the greatest weapon in the arsenal of a believer. Psalm 149 and 6, I'll prove it to you in God's Word. The Bible says it like this, may the, what? 
You're not reading on the screen, so I'll give you a moment. May the what? The, may, the, may the praise of God beware. You cannot be silent about praise. Now, I know you may have been raised in a different kind of church. I was raised in a spirit-filled church. Uh, we used to call it Pentecostal, but that scared people, so now we say spirit-filled and still scares some people. And uh, I was raised in a loud kind of church where so we're an amening church because that's kind of how I like it. Saying amen to a preacher is like saying sick him to a bulldog. Amen, everybody. And so uh, I, I was raised that way. But here's, listen, it's not about style. Maybe you were raised in a quiet church. Maybe you were raised somewhere that had a different faith tradition and how you worship God. This isn't about how we were raised or our preference or my opinion. This is about God's word. The praise of God is where? It's in your mouth. you got to say it. It's something that comes out of you. There's a physical response. And when you do, put that scripture back on the screen, Psalm 149 and 6. May the praise of God be in their mouths. And when it is, it becomes what? A double-edged sword in their hands. You, you catch that? It's the greatest weapon in the arsenal of a believer. I didn't put this on the screen, but write this in your notes. Worship may not get you out of your situation but it will sustain you through your situation. Worship may not deliver you from your bad days, but it'll give you the help to get through your worst days. Worship may not be the thing that gets you out of the problem you've got in your marriage, but it'll be the thing that sustains you on the low days. Say amen to that, everybody. Worship is the greatest weapon in the arsenal of a believer. Write this in your notes. Worship defined is whatever... You give worth to. It's whatever. It's actually the root word of worship is wor- it's worth. It's what we ascribe worth to. We say this is valuable. This means something. And the human heart, listen to me, everybody on the planet is worshiping something. Everybody's good at worship. Again, you may be in church today thinking, well, this is not for me. This is really my kind of church even, and I just don't worship like everybody else does. Listen to me. It's not about style. It's about the design of your heart. God designed you a worshiper. And when you start talking about worship, people, you know, they they get off balance. They go, well, I like this kind of music, and I like that kind of church, and uh, yeah, I like to sing those kind of songs. And man, if y'all would sing those kind of songs, I'd really worship. Man, if you'd sing Southern Gospel, where's all my Southern Gospel people at? I was raised on Southern Gospel. Ain't nothing better than a Gaither vocal band. Come on, somebody. Then I was raised on Gospel Gospel. I was raised in an Afrocentric kind of Pentecostal influence in worship. And I love, love, love it. Ain't nobody more anointed than Marvin Winans on planet Earth. I love good Gospel Worship, but listen. You may say to yourself, "Well, that that's not that's not not who I am. That's I don't really do that." I, if you'll if you'll sing the th- stuff I like, or if we went to the kind of church I like, I don't like all the lights, and I don't like how loud it is, and I don't like how fog it is, and that's not fog. That's the Holy Ghost. Everybody just everywhere in the room. Here's the truth of the matter: You're going to worship something. Everybody is. Worship is not defined by the kind of music or how loud it is. It's defined by what you give your worth to by what deserves your attention, by what deserves value in your life. By this thing is so valuable to me, I'm worshiping it. I give worth to that. And people worship all kinds of things. People worship their cars. I don't know why, but I do understand people worshiping their trucks. People worship their houses. People worship their ranch. People worship their looks. People worship their money. 
You may not see them literally bow down to these things, but they're worshiping them. There's worship going on. And Paul, let me teach you from God's Word, Paul walks into the city of Athens and this is happening. And This is where I'm going to give you this Bible story today about worship. Paul realizes when he walks into Athens, now Athens is this cosmopolitan city. It's an intelligent town. It would be akin to a New York City, uh, Las Vegas, uh, Los Angeles. It's very cosmopolitan. It's very open-minded kind of place. It's well-cultured. And Athens uh, is home to these Greeks that had idols that were unimaginable. I mean, they were, there was an idol to everything. There was a god to everything. Every, every kind of idol you can think of all throughout the city, there are different. There's not one temple or one church or one place you worship. There's shrines everywhere. There's idols all over the place. And there's gods all over the place. And, and they, had, they had hundreds of these all throughout the city of Athens. And then, when you, you kind of got down to the end of the row of, of all of these idols and all of these shrines and all these different gods, they actually had uh, an idol there. This is in, in your Bible. They had an idol there that it was kind of one of those, in case we missed a god, we, we decided to make this shrine. And literally, this shrine is there. And on the inscription, it says, To the unknown God, to the unknown God. And it's kind of this double-edged sword because what the Greeks were saying in Athens, they're saying, listen, I don't want to leave anybody out just in case we didn't get a God, just in case we missed one, just in case, you know, we're just going to cover all of our bases. But they also, listen to me, they also, I think there was a realization in the Greeks that all of this other stuff, all of these other idols, all of these other shrines, all of these other gods, there was something missing in all of that and there's this one thing I can't put my finger on that really is who I should be worshiping with my life. And so just to be sure, we're going to create this idol, that we're going to create this shrine, and on the bottom we're just going to say, this is to the unknown God. We, we, I don't even know who He is or how He is or where He is, but I, I just I want to be there. And that's where this story picks up. If you have your Bibles, Acts the 17th chapter. Turn to Acts 17, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John... Acts. Turn to Acts 17, and this is where Paul walks into Athens. Verse 22, the Bible says, Paul stood up in the meeting at the Oropagus and said, Men of Athens, I see in every way that you are very religious. Verse 23, I walked around, I looked carefully at your objects of worship. Now, these aren't Christians but they're religious. Let me pause here and tell you, there was an assumption that Paul made. You didn't have to be a Christian to know they worshiped something. There's this misconception that Christians have that, well, we worship and that, you know, that this is a worship service and that's what we do. No, no, no. Paul said, hey, listen, I I realize you're not Christian yet, but you're still worshiping something because everybody worships something. And so Paul walks in, he says, I see that. I looked at all these objects and I even found, here it is, I even found an altar with this inscription to an unknown God. Now what you worship as something unknown, I'm going to proclaim to you. Verse 24, the God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth. And he does not live in temples built by hands, and he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything from me, because God himself gives all men life and breath 
and everything else. And from one man he made every nation of men that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he determined the time set before them and the exact places where they should live. Verse 27. And God did this. Here it comes. This unknown God to you did this, the Lord of heaven and earth, who created everything that ever was and ever will be. He did all of this so that men and women like you would seek Him and perhaps reach out for Him and He would find them and they would find Him and He is not far from each one of us. You ought to shout amen to that, everybody. Verse 28, for in Him we live. And move and have our being. He says, I notice you have an inscription to an unknown God. And I want you to know that that God is the God of the universe. And today, in first service, I want to preach to you that you may not understand everything about spirit-filled living. You may not understand everything about this church. You may not understand everything about your Bible. You may be brand new to faith or brand new to Christianity, but I want you to know, just because you didn't know Him, God knew you. Just because you couldn't find Him, God found you. Just because it didn't make sense to you, God came to where we were. God formed you, shaped you. You are fearfully and wonderfully made, anointed, called by God, purposed on your life and the God of the universe isn't some distant God far away from you but he can be known and touched and he wants to be active and vibrant in your life shout amen to that and that's what Paul preaches that that there's something there that you need to wrestle with he actually says that men would seek him and reach out for him the literal translation is that they grope for him in my mind, it's like, some of you are going to relate to this. It's like when you get up in the middle of the night and you got to go potty. How many of you, let's, let's don't, don't be crass, but how many of you are eyes closed all the way to the bathroom kind of people? I can see you because y'all, y'all sit in the back usually. <laughs> Still kind of sleepy. Anyway, how many of you are, I'm up, I'm up, I'm, I'm wide open, I'm up. It's two o'clock in the morning, but here I am, I'm up. I'm up. Turn all the lights on, here we are. Happened to me last night, 2.15 in the morning. I'm up. Usually people who are up and who like the lights on are married to people who grope their way to the bathroom. Are y'all with me on that, everybody? And I'm married to somebody whose eyes closed the whole way. I have two kids. One of them's lights on. The other one just fumbles around all the way to the bathroom, keeping their eyes. This is the way I imagine. The Bible says that in darkness you find your way groping. And maybe you've lived your life feeling this way. I don't know what's missing, but something's missing. I don't know where to find him, but I feel like he's there. I don't know how to get through this, but I feel like I need something more in my life. The Bible says they grope for Him, they seek for Him, their their, their hearts are groaning, their souls are reaching out for God. And in the process of trying to find Him, listen, people have this long road of idols to get to God. They have this long road of all this stuff in this world that I've been replacing my worship to God with all of this other stuff with all of this other and honestly when I tried it when I went when it was money or success or my job or relationships or marriage or girls or boys or whatever it was I was chasing after all of this time it never satisfied my soul 
And so maybe you're in church today, eyes closed, groping for, I know there's something more that my life's supposed to be pointed to. And I love how Paul said, just so you know, God isn't distant, but He's close. And if you don't hear anything else I tell you today, hear this. God is close today. He can be found today. He's reaching for you if you'll just reach out a little bit for Him. Say amen to that. You can bump right into Him. He's right there. If you'll reach out with your heart, you'll find Him. Because the activity of the human heart is to find something to worship. Say amen to that. So why do we worship? Write this in your notes. If you're taking notes, all Christians take notes in church. If you look down the row and see somebody not taking notes, you know. The altar calls for them. Anyway, (laughs) here's why we worship. Number one, write this down. We worship because God is worthy. Say amen to that. We don't worship because we like that style. We don't worship because the music's good. We don't worship because the lights are on. We don't worship because we like this song. We worship because the God of the universe is worthy of my whole life. He's worthy of my worship. Listen to me. Every time, every time you get a glimpse in the Bible... In the Old Testament or the New Testament, every time you get a glimpse into the presence of the Lord, guess what's happening there? Worship. Every time. Every time the veil is just a little bit pulled back and someone gets a glimpse into eternity. Every t- I didn't put it on the screen, but write it in your notes. The room temperature of the presence of God is worship. The room temperature of the presence of God is worship. So that means if you want the presence of God in your life, it takes worship. If you want the presence of God in your home, it takes... I'm going to preach to you, preach with me. If you want the presence of God in your family, it takes... If you want the presence of God in your children, it takes... Everywhere the presence of God is, the room temperature of the presence of God is worship. I'll show it to you in God's Word. Revelation 5 and 11. John gets a glimpse into the presence of God and he says this. Revelation 5, 11. Then I looked and I heard the voice of how many angels? Numbering thousands upon thousands and ten thousands upon ten thousands. Let me just pause here and tell you, if you don't like big churches, you're going to hate heaven. Thousands upon thousands and ten thousands upon ten thousands. And they encircled the throne and the living creatures and the elders. And then verse 12, one of my favorite verses, Revelation 5 and 12. And in a what kind of voice? In a what kind of voice? You you can be earplugs if you want them. Our team has earplugs for you. But when you get to the presence of God, worship is in a loud voice. They did what? They sang, worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. Every time you get the presence of the Lord, you can't sit there with your arms folded. You can't sit there held back like this. You can't close your eyes. When you get the presence of the Lord, your voice echoes. My hands go up. God is worthy of all of my praise. It's the room temperature of the presence of God. That there's worship. Then I heard every creature in heaven, verse 13. Then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all that's in them singing to Him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be praise and honor and glory and power forever and forever. Why? 
Because he's worthy. I don't come to church and stand on the front row with my arms raised high just because it's tradition. And I'm not asking you to come and sing because it's tradition here. I'm actually not asking you to do anything out of tradition here. I'm asking you to do it because God's worthy. We don't sing loud because it's just what we do and that's what we like. No, we sing loud because He's worthy. We don't smile and give joy and, and, and there, there's, not, there's not the presence of God. It's not because this is what we do. That's the kind of church this is. No, that isn't the kind of church this is. That's the kind of God He is, everybody. That's not the kind of faith tradition we are. That's who God is and He deserves worship in our lives. Say amen to that, everybody. He's worthy of Here's the second reason you got to worship. Write this in your notes. Because you're a worshiper. Because you are a worshiper. You worship something. It's not a Christian thing. It's not a Bible thing. It's not a religious thing. It's a human thing. Everybody worships something. All of us were created by God and for God. And so you have this internal... Matter of fact, the Bible says at one point that God said eternity in the hearts of men. There's this internal thing inside your life that you you can run as far as you can. You can build as many idols as you want to. You can try throughout your life to find all of these other things to satisfy you. But there's always something on the inside of you that says there's uh, uh, there's something more. It's It may be unknown to you. You may not understand it fully. It may be far from your grasp. But I want you to know today that God put on the inside of you the desire to worship. And the reason why you should worship is because you were created to do that. You're a worshiper. It's why worship should matter. It's why you should spend your lifetime worshiping God. Because you will spend your lifetime worshiping something. Maybe you're thinking, I'm just not. I'm quiet. I just, I, this is not who I am. I don't worship anything. I, I, that's just not me. Yes, you do. Everybody has a throne. In their life. Everybody has something that sits. On the throne. Of their heart. Watch me listen. If you look over your life. You are leaving breadcrumbs. To the throne. Let me show it to you like this. You are leaving behind your life. A trail. Of breadcrumbs. That if I followed it back, and if anybody else in your life follows it back, they'll find what's on the throne. So if you're single today, I'll, I like to talk single people. Don't raise your hands because y'all get weird about that. But I'd like you to meet each other. <laughs> Anyways, I tell single people all the time, listen, don't look at how good looking he is. Don't look at his truck. Don't, 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 look, at, don't look at none of that. Look at his patterns. This is good preaching. If I'll amen myself here. Single people, don't marry for potential. Marry for patterns. Because that joker, if he was a slob before you met him, he'll be a slob when you marry him. That's free. I didn't write none of that down. You just look at the breadcrumbs. I always tell single people, go check his calendar and his checkbook. That'll tell you where it's a breadcrumb. That he leaves, that she leaves, and when you get to the end of it, there's a throne. Listen to me. There's a throne in your life. And some of you, you sit on the throne. This is what I like what I like. I do what I do. This my, is this my style. Do you see how you lean back when you do that? Y'all don't look around for people that sit like this in church. 
I kind of like this. I like my Sundays. I go to the lake on Sunday. I, me and God got a deal worked out. Oh, do you? I like this. I like the way I do what I do. God, God understands me. He knows I'm a little weird. I like my, I like my, I like it just the right volume. I don't like the volume in here. I like the coffee. Y'all don't make good coffee. I like different coffee. I choose churches based on coffee. Y'all keep laughing. None of y'all do that, but second service full of sinners. They do this. And you listen, and you look at the bread comes in your life and you find out it's me. I've been living for me, what I want, my stuff. Could be money. That money sits on the throne of your life. That if you follow the breadcrumbs, you didn't ask God, do I take this promotion? Do I take this job? Do I move to that city? You were just chasing dollars. And if you look at the breadcrumbs of your life, there's money sitting there. Am I helping anybody today? You look at the listen throne of your life and it could be relationships. Abandoned by your father. Now you're trying to find somebody to fill the void that only God can fill. That you missed a man and a male role model in your life. So you need a man to fill that. You look back over your life and there's three or four or five or six broken relationships. And when you get back, it's a relationship that sits on the throne. It could be finance. It could be your job, success. Maybe you weren't raised in a home with a ton of affirmation. So you get to a, 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 a level of success in your career. You get to a level of acknowledgement. And, and, and you realize if I chase the breadcrumbs of your life, they end up at a throne. You get there by following the trail of your time and your investments and your loyalties. You follow the breadcrumbs of your life and you realize there's passion over there. When I look at my life, I realize, yeah, that thing gets more attention than everything else. Yeah, that thing on the throne of my life, it gets more of me than everything else. When you get to the end of the trail, listen, you're going to find something or somebody on the throne. You're going to find something or somebody on the throne. And you, you may not bow down. You may not bow your knee to it. It may not be that you sing songs to it, but you realize this thing is what I worship. My life's pointed in that direction. Some of you get to the end. You see education, your house, your career, your hobby, your truck. Not here to tell you any of that's wrong. But I'm asking you, what's most valuable in your life? What's most valuable to what you do? Who, who gets worth in your life? The tragedy, listen to me, listen close as we close today. The tragedy of your life is to get to the end of the breadcrumbs and look back over your life and realize I spent 30 years, 40 years, 50 years, 75 years, 80. I've asked the Lord for 87 years. I did. I asked God to give me 87 years. I'm hoping to Brandy outlives all that because I can't cook for myself. Come on. I don't want to look back 80. Coach, I don't want to look back 87 years from now and go. That's the thing I worship. That's what got the most of my attention. That's the thing that as a pastor I get the opportunity to be in the highest parts of your life and the lowest. I get to be at weddings and babies and baby dedication and then unfortunately I, I spend a lot of my ministry time at the lowest parts in hospitals and funeral homes. I've, I've never been to a funeral home, never been to a hospital bedside, an ICU room. Someone didn't look back over their breadcrumbs.
and say, man, I wish I wouldn't have. I wish it, would, I, I wish it wasn't the job that got all of that. I wish it wasn't money that got all of that. The tragedies that you spend your life worshiping someone other than God. The tragedies that you spend your life chasing down something other than the one who the Bible said, Paul, when he preaches to the, to, 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 to the Athenians, he says, there's this unknown God. You may not even quite understand how you got here. But he knows you. You may not even be able to reach for Him, but He reached for you. You may not even fully understand the purpose of God in your life, but He's got one. The tragedies that you spend your life worshiping anything else, that's why it was so important for the children of Israel, and it's important for you as a believer, as a Spirit-filled, purpose-called believer to worship Jesus and Him alone. It was important for the children of Israel that God, in the book of Deuteronomy, when He brings them out of Egypt, by the way, that's what He's done for you if He saved you. There are six things that in, in, in the Bible that, that determine redemption and bring... I don't have time to teach you all of those, but in, in Deuteronomy, the, the sixth chapter, uh, God would talk about a deliverance out of Egypt and how to, what, what happens when you get brought out of Egypt. And God made, uh, makes a promise. He makes these four I will statements uh, to, to the children of Israel. He said, I will bring you out and I will free you from being slaves to them and I'll redeem you with an outstretched arm and mighty acts of judgment and I will take you as my own people and be your God. It's the promise of, of, of the Bible. The whole Bible is built on those four promises that God will bring you out, that God has set you free, that God will redeem your life from the pit and that God will put you in a family. It's the purpose of God in your life. But as he builds this case for deliverance, listen, out of Egypt, Deuteronomy 5, he says, you've got a part to play in this. If I'm going to re- redeem you and bring you out and I- I'm, I'm going to set you in a family and give purpose to you, you've got a part to play. And here it is, Deuteronomy 5 and 6. He said, for I am the Lord, your God. I brought you out of Egypt. I brought you out of the land of slavery. Verse 6. I'm the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery, verse 7, and you shall have no other before me. You don't have anything else. If you're going to walk in redemption and and freedom, you can't have any other. Listen, it makes me feel honestly a little ignorant that God had to tell me that because He delivered me out of Egypt, everybody. He set me free. He, 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 he saved my life. Did God, let me just ask you, did God save anybody from a, a long way? Can I just, like a long way. Where's all the heathens at? Like God saved you from a long way. Where's all the religious people like me that God saved you out of all that stuff? Where you at on that? I, listen, and, and I feel ignorant sometimes because I think, God, I know you brought me out of Egypt. And then here I am. And he says, you don't have any other gods before me. Don't have any other gods ahead of me. Notice, listen to me. He didn't say, don't worship anything else. He said, I don't want you to put anything else on that throne. Don't put anything else there. Because I know you're going to worship now. If it sits on the throne, you're going to worship it. So just don't put anything else there. Verse 8. And don't make for yourself an idol in the form of... Of anything. Not money. 
not achievement, not relationships, not success, not marriage. Don't make anything. Heaven on the earth in the waters. Here it is, verse 9. And don't bow down to them or worship them. So God gives you the order. He says, hey, I know what's going to happen here. You're going to put something on the throne. So don't have any other gods before me. I just, I, just, I, I want to make sure. And then don't form that thing into an idol that when I, when, I tra- when I look back over the breadcrumbs of your life and I see it, that there's something that's been formed in this that you've spent your whole life fashioning this idol. Don't do that. And then he said, by the way, don't bow down and worship it. Because I... The Lord, your God, am a jealous God. I don't make any apologies for the God of the Bible that He alone deserves our whole lives. Don't bow down. It's God who breathed the breath of life into me. It's God who created me for His pleasure and His purpose. I'm walking on this planet. I'm taking up the small space on this earth for the pleasure of the Creator who initiated my very being. And Paul said, in Him we have our life and we move and we have our being in Him and we're complete in Him. And all things are for Him, by Him, through Him and to Him. And just like the stars that are glittering in the sky and just like the planets that are orbiting in the galaxies, I was made to worship God and Him alone. My life was made to give God praise and Him alone. He doesn't need my praise to make Him more God, but somehow in the economy of God, He wants my praise and my worship. It doesn't add to Him. It doesn't take away from Him, but it does add to the symphony of heaven and of earth that in the presence of the Lord, the room temperature is worship to God. That He's worthy of my praise. That every Everything that I have is because of Him. I'm a jealous God, verse 10. But here's the good news today for you. If you're far from God, if you're grappling with, groping, eyes closed, through life, can't figure it out, can't find satisfaction, can't find joy, can't find healing and hope, if that's you today, here's the good news. He's a jealous God, but He shows love to a thousand generations who love me and keep my commandments. He shows love to a thousand generations. Look at me. Look at me. You don't have to come from worship for worship to come from you. You don't have to be raised in a church that understands it. You don't have to have all the answers of your life. You just have to know God is reaching for you a thousand generations. He's reaching for your worship, for your affection. He's reaching to be on the throne of your life. We are here because we were created by God and we have destiny that's as big as the heavens. You were not created to just walk through life and bump along through life with your eyes closed. You were not created meaningless. You were not created without purpose. You were not created to eke out a meager existence. You were not created to barely make it through a day. You were not created to lose joy. You were not created to live depressed. You were not created to live frustrated and down all the time and wondering what the purpose of your life is. You were created by your Creator to do something that matters and to give Him your whole life. In worship. In worship. 
Thank you for joining us today, and a special thanks to those of you who give generously to this ministry. You know, it's because of you that we're able not only to bring this message to you, but we're able to offer hope and life to the San Antonio Hill Country and beyond. So if you'd like to give today, you can visit cityhillstx.com right now. And if this message blessed you, why don't you click subscribe or share this message with your friends uh, on your socials. I pray it's a blessing to others in your world. Thanks again for listening today. God bless you.